Welcome to the Online Marketing for Doctors podcast, the place to grow and scale profitable practices with your show hosts, Huyen Truong and Steve Tate. Hello and welcome to another Online Marketing for Doctors podcast. This is the first Australian healthcare marketing podcast channel designed to help motivated practitioners implement clever, effective marketing ideas to grow and scale their practice. I'm your host, Stephen Tate, and our co-host is... Hello, everyone. (laughs) ...for today's special podcast, where we welcome to Dr. Rob King. Yes, hello. (laughs) Now, Dr. Rob King is an integrative men's health physician. His primary objective is to deliver the most up-to-date, innovative, and effective treatment approaches and disease prevention strategies for men. He is currently running a successful men's health practice in Sydney while also maintaining his lifestyle as a world traveler. Oh, very exciting. I feel like we should have a different podcast topic here today. Um, So we're excited to have him today on our show uh, as a guest to talk about how he runs a successful solo practice while still balancing an active lifestyle outside of the practice. So welcome to the show, Dr. King. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Now, uh, before we begin, can you just tell us a little bit more about you and your services and how long you've been in practice for? Sure. So I started my um, hospital training in 2000 and uh, um, started my training in uh, sexual medicine and I was working as a registrar at the Sexual Health Clinic in Newcastle in New South Wales. And... um, it was during my training that I came across men's health as a new specialty that um, surprisingly didn't uh, really exist before, unlike uh, women's health was always talked about a lot. And uh, it was interesting because it in- included or integrated uh, sexual medicine, so sexual dysfunction, andrology, and um, prostate uh, health. Mm-hmm. So then I actually came to, uh, moved back to Sydney in 2000 and um, Five, and uh, started up um, a small practice at Prince of Wales Hospital with a friend of mine who was a surgeon, and um, and I was focusing mainly on uh, two aspects: then um, preventive health checks for men. I always had an interest in preventive medicine, and and um, sexual medicine, in particular sexual dysfunction, was uh, my main uh, area of interest. I then worked. Um, uh, a sexual health physician invited me to work with him at City Men's Health, mm-hmm. and that was uh, my colleague, Dr. Michael Lowy, and um, and I worked there for uh, five years. And it was during that period that I really was came across the, well, I became aware rather of the inefficiencies of the practice. Uh, we were probably about six practitioners there. Uh, we had a um, some sexual um, th- sex therapist, um, myself, Dr. Michael Lowy, and a few other um, practitioners, such as a physiotherapist. And um, so just about the inefficiencies, how the practice was run, having two uh, receptionists there all the time when it wasn't really necessary. Uh, also, um, it was very difficult initially back then to get the practice switched to electronic medical records. So... Um, so that was difficult as well. And ultimately, uh, my decision to set up my own practice was as well to have full independence. Sure. Because in medicine, um, 
you know, we're very hierarchical and whoever's more senior than you will always want to influence what you're doing. Well, that's great because this is what uh, we're going to talk about today on the uh, podcast channel. As you've brought up this interesting topic, we wanted to delve into a little further for our listeners, this idea of operating a, as a sole practitioner. Now, uh, I guess our our first sort of question that we had for you was that, was it a sort of a conscious decision to be a sole practitioner? And I guess from, from your intro here, yes, uh, it was a very conscious decision. <laughs> yes, well, I suppose it was because... Um, I didn't have any colleagues at the time that I felt, you know, I wanted to ask to to join me because um, it's important to realize there are very few doctors in particular who are interested in men's health. Mm -hmm. So so that meant really that I, I had to really go solo. And um, and I knew it was a big risk because um, I had not done that before, but that's really, it was uh, either doing that or going off and doing something else. Yeah, sure. And so I guess, you know, as you are still operating as a sole practitioner today, I guess that sentiment, that feeling hasn't really changed over time, has it? No, no, I'm really glad that I did make that... Um, that move. So, um, so I've been here in this practice on Macquarie Street in Sydney for it's my ninth year now, and um, and I suppose I had also a good person to help me set up the practice initially, and I think that's really uh, critical. Actually, uh, I know there are companies out there that will help doctors do that. I think there are more now than there were before, but I I suppose I was lucky at the time that I had someone who was uh, able to help me and find the, uh, the premises here, help me set up the um, the computer system, um, help me with the fit out of the practice. So, so I suppose that, that was um, good timing, mm-hmm. I suppose, and perhaps I would not have done what I did had I not had that person at that particular time, because also... Uh, we did something quite innovative for the time, and that is to not have any receptionists. So we set up an online booking system, and um, I believe that I was probably one of the first doctors in Sydney, certainly, to do online bookings right. and not having have any phone service uh, to book appointments. Right. So that was also a risk, but um, you know the gamble, um, you know, <laughs> worked and uh, very forward right. thinking. Uh, now everyone is doing online booking. Correct. <laughs> um, well, I mean, let's go back to that sort of those first early days of being a sole practitioner. Uh, you're right; like it was helpful. Obviously, you, you you attribute some of your success here into having this person who sort of helped you establish the the practical nature of the office but what about running a business i mean as you're uh, by yourself that's a that's a sort of unique challenge and uh, not necessarily one that they teach you in in medical school so uh how, how did you feel entering into this world well, maybe I was a bit naive when I started. I sure. didn't really, um, maybe I, you know, I, I, what I did know, however, is, um, you know, what uh, what patients um, really wanted from a, a good medical practice. And also I was really aware that there was a lack of uh, services for men. Um, um, so so I suppose I put all my faith in, in, in that. But also I had done... Um, Previously, a course in project management, mm-hmm. um, and I have to say that really helped me as well organize myself in terms of setting up objectives and knowing how to reach those objectives. 
Um, so I had, a, you know, a certain structure. I didn't really have much knowledge about really how to run a business. Obviously, I did ask people for some help here and there. But I think what really drove me is to keep everything simple. Like avoid complexity was always my uh, my my main objective in terms of running the practice. Sure. So that's was why my decision as well not to employ staff um, because. Uh, would have brought another element of complexity. Yeah, you know? sure, sure. <laughs> uh, now, you don't employ any staff. Do you uh, outsource any work, or do you have people that you bring in from time to time, say, during tax season? or? Yes, yeah, so, yes, so certainly. Um, so I've got my um, IT support mm-hmm. um, uh, people, and, uh, and one of the reasons for me... Being here today is also share my experience that I had with um, online marketing for doctors in terms of helping me, um, you know, people out there find me. And, mm-hmm. I, and I would say, you know, and I, that's why I'm here and I accepted to do this, uh, this podcast is because that was really critical in getting, you know, increasing my patient numbers. Because right. even though, it, you know, I, I realized pretty early on that it's, uh, it's very slow you know, otherwise for the practice to grow if you've just got an online um, um, set up and, uh, and, you know, you get a lot of word of mouth, but that still can take, you know, two or three years before someone comes to see you and after mm-hmm. word of mouth recommendations. So things I would say certainly did, you know, take off uh, as soon as I included SEO in my, um, right. as part of my um, online or as part of my website. Sure. And, um and I think, um, yeah, that's. Um, mm-hmm. Don't know if I've answered your. No, question you did. <laughs> you have. Well, I mean, uh, extrapolating that a little bit further, the idea is is that you know you've got to wear a lot of hats running a, a, as a sole practitioner, and maybe there's an idea of of recognizing your own personal limitations, mm. and where where it's good to uh, to assign the tasks that you know that you can do but give tasks that other people might be qualified to do maybe a little bit better. Uh, yes, actually, I was just going to say in terms of the, um, the other support people and, you know, you mentioned about tax. So certainly, I was also lucky to have, um, you, you know, to find a, a good accountant as mm-hmm. well because it's also I find really hard to find accountants who really understand um, your practice and mm-hmm. actually really... Um, give you valuable advice. So, so that was also critical in, in helping me um, at some point structure my fees as mm-hmm. well sure. and get some good advice about that because uh, so I would say that was uh, that was critical. Now in terms of wearing uh, several hats, um, so I suppose from the um, pra- running the practice uh, side of things, so uh, of course, uh, what a receptionist would do or a personal assistant would do, you know, um, where they could potentially um, help me, say, if I outsource that um, side of things would be, you know, sifting through the emails that I get. So mm. that's probably um, becoming one of my big challenges at the, at the moment. And um, But again, in terms of cost, it doesn't make sense to employ someone to uh, reply to emails. So I tend to be... Um, very selective, and I think that's not just me. I think it's across all industries now. People can't cope with the volume of uh, emails, and a lot of people are not necessarily very reasonable when they um, send you an email and ask for advice and things like that. So that's probably 
you know, the, the most difficult aspect of, of, of my work. And I don't really, um, so really my, obviously my main role is to be here and have face-to-face consultations, uh, and, um, and be very aware of what the patient has come for and what, what their objectives are. And, um, and I think, um, I do have a really good network of other colleagues that I can call upon as well. So that's, uh, that's also very valuable. Um, a lot of people I can call on their phones. So I have a few colleagues such as gastroenterologists, urologists that I do work with. And so that also uh, is probably invaluable in, in, in making this practice uh, successful as sure. well. So sure. I can actually get advice uh, at times yeah. uh, that then will mean that I can provide really a you know, a very integrative um, and integrated um, uh, health service for for my patients. Can we talk a little bit more maybe about the challenges that you've experienced as a sole practitioner? I mean, uh, you talked about obviously the challenge of of finding good support for you and weighing the, the balance of costs and uh, <laughs> of bringing in people mm-hmm. are those the only challenges are there others well currently um that's why it's an interesting time to have this podcast uh, <laughs> i'm having to um there's been an explosion in patient demand oh right okay <laughs> and um which is a great problem to have correct um so it's both um you know there is a you know, a substantial amount of word of mouth, but I think the the SEO has grown enough now that um, people are finding me much more easily. Mm. There's also the fact that not many people do provide my services. I often see men who've got a combination of uh, health problems that mm-hmm. not one other person could uh, deal with. So often prostate issues, sexual dysfunction issues, libido issues, etc. So, so I, as I sit here, I still haven't... Um, decide how I'm going to grapple with that problem. Do I close my books now or I, I'm still thinking about it? So right. that okay. means that I do have very long working days at the moment. Sure. Because uh, I think as a solo practitioner, you do always uh, worry about closing your books too early because sure. there has been, you know, in terms of the growth, it does fluctuate a lot. The upward, I mean, the trend is upward, but you do get times when you little, you know, when I was not as busy. Um, so, you know, you always worry, should I close my books? But could that really affect something my practice? But at the moment, it's quite clear that mm-hmm. um, my, my patient, uh, the volume, the load is, 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 is very high, which means I have very long days. So I usually... Um, because I finish late, I start at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I usually leave the practice at the moment, um, unfortunately, a bit late at night. But this is what I need to, to tackle. And we, we talked about me maintaining a good um, life-work uh, balance. Now, certainly I do take um, – I always block time to go and travel because mm-hmm. that's a way of getting away from the pressure of the mm-hmm. practice. Uh, and um, so I still have to work now on limiting my, my hours during the, during the day. But mm-hmm. certainly – Getting away, you know, regularly every two months, you know, it might be a short trip, a longer trip is uh, really important as part of my practice. And how do I do that? Well, I, I, I am lucky in the sense that um, I don't uh, generally um, see people who've got really um, urgent problems. Sure. Because really my practice is all more about chronic problems. Uh, so I always say to everyone, look, always have a you know your gp as a backup because uh there are many 
uh, medical centres in Sydney, and that's what usually general practitioners do is acute medicine, whereas it's very difficult to find people who deal with chronic problems, the long-term prevention of disease, etc. That's something that not many people do. So that's what I need to focus on, not acute problems, right. because again, in Sydney, we have all the services, emergency departments, and many medical centres that can provide that service. Right. So okay. in that sense, I... You know, I suppose I'm lucky, but, you you know, I still think that um, one could be set, uh, have a solo practice and have an agreement with, uh, you know, a practice that would see, you know, one's patients if there was something urgent so that you actually could say, well, yes, I do, I do have frequent breaks, but these are the people that you can see in my absence. At the moment, it's a little bit uh, really whoever, whoever their GP is, uh, mm -hmm. recommend that they go and see them. But there's very rarely any problems, and that, I suppose, is part of my work is to make sure that I don't create problems. I do a lot of work now. I, my, my practice have evolved to do a lot of work on, on gut health, particularly as part of my health checks when people have chronic disease. So that means that... Um, you know, I'm very careful with my treatments that I do everything that's not, you know, I'm not going to get any problems. And, and that tends to be the case. Sure. Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, you've touched on a lot of great points here. Uh, and I think one in particular, the idea that uh, as running a soul practice, you really do need to sort of recognize your own limitations uh, and how much work and effort that you want to put into it, because it can be all consuming if you if you allow it. Exactly. Um, no, exactly. And I think um, when you do, when I did start, I was very um, flexible, and um, and I think some some patients got used to that. And mm -hmm. there's that that sense you have to be. You really, it's all about boundaries and saying, mm -hmm. well, if no, in your case, I, you know, I won't see you before you know another two months. I mean, currently I've got a two month waiting time. It, tends to fluctuate between two and three months mm -hmm. but I do keep a few appointment blocks so that if someone asks me to see them earlier I will mm -hmm. or if I've got a patient that I think should have an earlier follow-up then I do have that flexibility so I think I need to expand those blocked appointments to then have more flexibility <laughs> and, and and shorten my hours that's how I'm seeing it at the moment sure. Sure. Uh, actually just because this is a very spontaneous um, interview I would um one thing I just wanted to yes yeah, say, of course, with the, the, the one challenge are the costs of running the you know the sure. practice because I'm here in the in the city. Uh, the rent is you know expensive, and you know understandably costs of uh, people provide services are you know expensive, and so that's uh, always really important to um, again to find good people and um, and to you know limit the number of times you need to um, get them involved. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, but on on balance, it's uh, it's been very manageable. I mean, have there been any sort of techniques or tools? I mean, we talked about in the beginning that you went with this online booking uh, concept to avoid having a receptionist, which has clearly uh, worked out mm -hmm. for you. But were there other sort of tools that you used to either automate, say, your workflow mm -hmm. or just make running the business easier? Uh, well, certainly the website's an important part of that, giving mm -hmm. as much information as possible on the website so people then know what exactly what services I provide. So then they'll go ahead and, and, and book. Uh, so I think that's an important aspect uh, just in terms of reducing my workload of people sending me um, – because you can access a contact form on my website. So occasionally I get an email uh, contact form that will say, you know, we would like to know the services that 
Dr. King provides, and but all that is actually on the website. So, um, but as I said, that's pretty much the uh, the exception. So, in terms of um, automation, I've got a few key um, template documents that I actually use. Um, and um, that depend on the stream that I'm doing either with my health check, so um, the health the report for the health check, uh, and I do just like project managers do, so there's nothing different there. Why you know type the same thing over and over? So there's sure. certain things, and I'd obviously customize that to the uh, individual patient. Uh, and I could have taken that to uh, you know step further by actually automating the um, the documents as well in terms of um, you know maybe the pathology results being downloaded, etc. But um, uh, interestingly, I, you know, I, I, that's probably one, one, one weakness, but I don't think it would necessarily save me a massive amount of time anyway. But um, that would be certainly, you know, obviously IT provides, you know, opportunity to automate documents. Um, but again, because I've kept, um, kept things reasonably simple, I've got three streams of documents that I use and, um, and I can always... Uh, so I always work during a consultation on the document, whether it's a health plan or the advice I give to the patient goes on to that document. Any um, uh, any nutritional recommendation that I give as well goes on that document. And, uh, and if, with my gut treatment plans as well, everything's there. So it can go very, very fast. It's, so in that sense, it's a very productive uh, consultation for, for patients uh, that I couldn't do if I didn't have those uh, those templates. So again, it's not a very complicated uh concept at all <laughs> is there any advice around success criteria that you found for operating a successful uh, sole practice yeah so certainly you have to find um you know provide a service that other people don't mm. um so in my case uh men's health was already a you know a service and not, not many um medical doctors provide um and then within that really provide more, uh, have several options, such as uh, people very interested in prevention, which again is not necessarily something that's uh, provided there. So, you know, the so-called sort of find the niche market and something that makes you more more unique as opposed to just being perceived as a carbon copy of someone else, you know, in a medical center, for instance. Um, And there are a lot of specialist medical centers that, you know, are very similar, you know, they do tend to provide very similar services, you know, they do certain procedures and no one else can, such as gastroenterologists. So that would inevitably attract patients. Whereas if you're not doing procedures such as, you know, endoscopies, then you have to, again, do things that are quite quite unique and will make you a unique person that they'll want to come and see. Mm-hmm. No, and certainly I also had the um, advice from online marketing for doctors as well as I was... Uh, as we were rebuilding my website and um, because I really had no no... No, I just didn't realize how powerful that could be. And so, again, they may have seemed like trivial tips at the time, but I do realize that even just um, the few tips I got in terms of um, what I need to focus, focus on and what people were going to um, read and and also the content of the website. So, again, um, people could find you based on the um, you know the search criteria they were putting on the um, in their search engine. Yeah. I guess it's easier to de- sort of define what those keywords are that people are searching for when you're operating in a, a defined niche. Correct. So that's also where um, where I was um, you know, given good advice uh, was, um, yes, to think exactly of what my, yes, really what my um, 
strengths were and what were the unique services I was providing. Uh, and then, um, so I suppose I take that a little bit for granted now because uh, mm. there's a lot like that one takes for granted when you've uh, been given some really valuable tips. Uh, again, never very complex, but absolutely key tips. And, uh, and then with time, you tend to forget how valuable they were. So <laughs> I think that's uh, probably something. It's easy for me to sit here and say, yes, it's fantastically you know, successful practice. But um, yes, I certainly didn't achieve all this on my own. That's mm, for sure. Sure. So there were a few key people, uh, <laughs> so including... Um, Online marketing for doctors, certainly, sure. and I'm very happy to be able to say that because it's uh, it's absolutely true. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. sure uh, Wayne's excited to receive that positive feedback. Uh, I think it's uh, it's something that we talk a lot about the the idea of positioning and and defining your niche uh, because sort of the alternative where people are trying to be too much to for to to do too many things and be all-encompassing for people uh, tends to be a real negative strategy as they sort of, you know, struggle to be that the best uh, at everything for pe- for people. So just being the best in the sort of that defined niche is a great quality. Well, I mean, we're coming to the end of the podcast here. This has been a, a wonderful conversation so far. Hope it hasn't been too uh, intimidating. No. no okay, not great. Too bad. I think you've done excellent and provided some great sort of ideas around running a, a soul practice. If I could twist your arm for any sort of final advice, uh, tips that you may have for anyone who's considering running their own uh, solo practice. I think if you've got some ambitions in terms of um, expanding your knowledge and getting out there and um, uh, being um, innovative, I think, uh, and uh, I think it's really the way, you know, the way to go. Um, and uh, I think you just have to throw yourself into the deep end. And uh, like a lot of things in life, it's the only way to, um, to move you know, forward. Off, you know? So that's what I found. And luckily, when I threw myself into the deep end, I, I, um, I just had faith in that it was going to be successful. And I think that's probably the most important thing is believing in the success. Blind ambition. <laughs> Again, Dr. Rob King, thank you very much for joining us on the uh, show today. I know that our listeners will appreciate your contributions here and uh, the thought and uh, the advice that you've provided them. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to do this. <laughs> uh, if there's anyone out there uh, who has some feedback and comments on this podcast, some tips themselves or ideas around running their own soul practice or even just questions or concerns about running their own uh, soul practice, uh, please leave some comments in the comment section below. Uh, but otherwise, uh, that's it for us today on today's podcast. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. We look forward to having you at the next show. Thank you for listening to the Online Marketing for Doctors podcast with Hu Yen Truong and Steve Tate. Be sure to check out the archive section on our website for previous episodes at onlinemarketingfordoctors.com slash podcast. And subscribe to the show so we can catch you at the next episode. 